You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening, Rifters. This is Rest and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast, where we go to the many 5e books and talk about various rules and enhance your gameplay experience. I'm Nathan, the Dungeon Master of Riftwake. And I'm Remy, a player on Riftwake and a Dungeon Master myself. And today we're here to talk to you about Candlekeep Mysteries. Nathan, what is Candlekeep Mysteries? It's like a candle in a keep full of mysteries. No, no, it's actually the new D&D book that has recently come out. So I have already read through it, of course. And there's a lot of interesting things in there that I want to talk about. Uh, however, uh, just an FYI, I am going to be mostly against spoilers i'm going to talk about some of the creatures that are in the book some of the magic items that are in the book uh some of the lore around candlekeep itself but i am not going to actually talk a whole lot about the various adventures therein but i might talk about just some of the details of like oh that's a cool magic-y thing so even if you haven't played any of the Candlekeep adventures, this episode should still be spoiler-friendly enough. So, uh, that being said, uh, joking aside, Nathan, what can you actually tell me about Candlekeep itself? No, I really I really don't know anything. <laughs> <sighs> okay. So, Candlekeep itself is just a massive and magical library that exists in the Forgotten Realms, uh, in the Sword Coast, particular, or on the Sword Coast. So what is kind of neat, though, is that the very introduction of the book, like, has a few sentences that I actually just really appreciate them considering to put in. If you're not running a Forgotten Realms campaign, you can adapt the adventures in this book for other settings, substituting any large library similar to Candlekeep. Examples from other published D&D settings include the following. Uh, the Soltrace Academy in Rexentrum on Wildmount. Uh, the Cobalt Reserve in Westrun. 
Uh, on Eberron, the library of Korenberg in the nation of Zalaro, the University of Winham's library in the nation of Ondere, or Morgrave University's library in the city of Sharn. Or on the world of Orth, the great library in the free city of Greyhawk. Good lord, was that a lot of proper nouns. <laughs> but the point being, though, there's a lot of big libraries throughout the D&D multiverse. And the fact that they do mention in the introduction here that, yes, you can adapt this to your own world or other worlds is just a detail that I really appreciate them putting in there. Because, yeah, you may not be playing, you know, on the Sword Coast. But if you want to just make use of the information here in Candlekeep, you can still use that. You can just put Candlekeep itself anywhere, and that's okay. Or if you want to just make, you know, another one, you know, Flamekeep, <laughs> just for your own world, you can do whatever you want to do. That's one of the benefits of being a dungeon master. But even so, like, there is actually quite a lot in this book so it is i think 16 adventures that are each like from level 1 through 16 able to be used and that is a lot of just information honestly and one thing that i do really like about this book also like yeah there's all of these adventures in here but you don't need to use all of them. You absolutely could just pick and choose like, oh, this is an idea or a twist of magic that I think is cool. And so I will you know, make use of this for my own world. Like just taking inspiration from an existing book, even if it, you don't use the full thing as it is, is totally fine. And that really is something that I just you know, want to hammer home. But even so, like, I mentioned that there's a lot in here, so I'm honestly still debating a bit about, like, how much to say on each thing. So, uh, before I do in too much other tangents, Candlekeep itself actually has a rather thorough description in the book, which I highly suggest, like, reading that section through fully, uh, just to really be inspired on how you can take some of that information to use for your own magical libraries in your world, whether or not you decide to use Candlekeep itself. Um, honestly, uh, speaking of just reading it, I do actually recommend, I definitely do recommend picking up Candlekeep for yourself because this is one that has a lot of just kind of, oh, that's a neat idea. Oh, that's a cool thing. Like, there's a lot of that that I picked up just during my own read-through of the book. So, that being said, uh, Candlekeep itself is, you know, a keep. It is a, you know, solid wall that goes around this entire area itself. So it has, like, the library, it's got, you know, places to sleep, it's got a tavern, it's got a lot of things. And all of those are, you know, described in a decent amount of detail, too. But it even also just goes into, well, actually, uh, let me try to stay a little more chronological here. So just getting into, into Candlekeep has a restriction. 
There is a required entrance fee for admission into Candlekeep, a work of writing not already collected therein. Those who show up at the gates without such a gift are kindly but firmly turned away. That is brilliant. Like, to get into this library, you need to give them a work of writing that they don't already have. That's a really cool idea, honestly. So, Remy, real quick. Define work of writing. Is it something that I just scribble down? Like, See, oh, I'm magic that you work that, of writing. Actually. So, that <laughs> is something that is up to interpretation. So, maybe... You know, a simple poem might count, or maybe it does need to be, you know, some biography or work of the arcane. It isn't really defined what counts as a work of writing. So you as the DM can pick that just when you, you know, have that work, you know, given to you by a player to decide, is this sufficient, you know, for what you want this place to be? Hey, I just realized something. Mm. It's a perfect way to generate player-created content for your world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that absolutely No, no, can one. you imagine if it's legitimately something where, okay, as a player, you need to create something for the world, and then you can enter the place? That would be annoying, but very cool. <laughs> Maybe. Like, it... A lot of that just does depend on, you know, your players and what they might be into. Yeah, like, but if they are into it, it'll yeah. be really fun. So, like, as one example, like, when I played a bard character years ago, like, I actually wrote a couple of songs, like, for him to sing about, you know, the adventures that the party got up to. So, having, you know, oh, yeah, you know, I actually had those written down, so maybe that could be something that, you know, that character would use to try to get into Candlekeep. You know, a song written by a bard of some talent would be something that, yeah, they definitely wouldn't have already. So, yeah, so I myself would have quite a lot of fun with that. But as is known, most people are not to my level of D&D crazy. But hey, some are. And they, those kinds of people can have a lot of fun with it. Or also just, you know, what kind of check or... Like, how you choose to enforce that, you know, is open to debate. Like, do you want to make it relatively easy? Do you want to make it more difficult? Like, do you want to just kind of hand wave away the difficulty of that and have it just be, you know, oh, you know, the, you know, there are, you know, lots of stalls outside the library that are hawking, you know, uh, goods that they claim are things not already in the library. And then just have it be this kind of like, well, are they telling the truth or, you know, is it deception? Is it, you know, uh, real or fake? They're just You could go a lot of directions just for getting into the place. And I appreciate just the way that that is written vaguely to give DMs the flexibility to make the choice. Uh, also, they do mention the fact that when you do get in, that you can, you know, request assistance for the people inside to, you know, help drive you around to find something that you're kind of looking for. And there is... Wait, 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 wait. Drive you around? Oh, you know what I mean. <laughs> Guide you around. Thanks. <laughs> no, they, ha they have whoosh wagons. So just a magically animated cart to move you around. <laughs> 
Uh, my mind just tangented to the Wonka mobile, but that would be a strange thing to anyone who is not aware of that movie. <sighs> anyway. So the point being, though, that you do have, you know, the ability to have a guide with you, but there is so much description on just like the people that are in Candlekeep, just uh, the people who run the place, the people who are, you know, studying the people who run the businesses. It's, there's a lot of detail. And one thing that I also really appreciate is uh, there's a lot of information on the defenses about like how Candlekeep is kept safe. So they they actually also have a really nice uh, map picture for it, like showing the different areas of Candlekeep, showing the wall around, showing, you know, just the geology of the area where it is to show like, oh, yeah, OK, it's mostly protected by, you know, water around it you know there's the one road to get in or out large wall surrounds the entire place and then on the people front too there's mention that the gate warden is an arch mage who also has four mages that are available to just immediately investigate issues with an additional four arch mages that might be able to come to lend additional assistance. So that is insane. So there are canonically five archmages in Candlekeep that will be around to potential to help defend it should someone try pulling something. That is significant. Um, out of curiosity, Nathan, uh, do you know how powerful an archmage is? Almost like a mage, but Archie. <sighs> In all seriousness, like the standard Archmage character sheet describes them as an 18th level spellcaster. As in, they have a 9th level spell slot. And while it's true that like the standard Archmage for some reason has time stopped, as their ninth level spell like there is no reason that you couldn't just change what ninth level spell they have available to just anything that would just kind of suit you know your game style so having five archmages with ninth level spells okay yeah that's a pretty well defended place but even besides the people there are wards yay Numerous magical defenses protect the library. The most innocuous include wards to protect the library's books from mold, weevils, and other threats. Other protections are more dramatic as discussed below. So, something that I also did forget to bring up uh, on Tuesday's episode of Libraries, bugs. Having magical protection against bugs is a really good idea. Uh, mold as well. Yeah. Having a magical protection set up over the entire area to just say, no, those things cannot be here, is just a really good idea. In addition to that, do you see the implication involved in those sentences? Uh, what, they, they are very careful? Well, yeah, but that's not where I'm going. So... no. <laughs> They mention here that the library is protected from mold weevils and other threats. That statement means 
magic to do that exists. So there canonically here now exists magic that you can put over theoretically any area to say like, yeah, you know, there is, you know, no mold or bugs in, you know, the palace or a hospital or like it's just establishing that this magic exists is a big deal. And just the idea that there is magical protections that exist that can be cast over an area. That is a massive deal. And I I just don't get why that people aren't making a bigger deal out of that fact. Like there are some magical protections that are written about in other books, but I don't know of any that are quite so fleshed out as the ones that is written here. The only one that comes close in my eyes is the description of the magical protections around the drow prison. But anyway, that's a separate tangent again. Um, What's also pretty cool, though. So the magical protections, there are honestly quite a few more things. Magic restriction. Wards prevent anyone from entering Candlekeep by any route other than through the front gates. Any attempt to magically bypass these gates fails. The wards do not prevent creatures from using magic to exit Candlekeep. That also has some really cool implications. So, okay, so this place is magically protected, so you can't teleport in. However, the wards don't stop anyone from teleporting out. That's actually a pretty cool detail. But even besides that, there's actually even more information that, you know, you you can't even fly over the wall. It just dispels magical flight and has the person float slowly to the ground 50 feet outside the gate. So that's really freaking cool, because, again, like the forbidden spell has a you know finite area of effect and can't overlap with itself so again this is establishing canonically that you can enchant a large area to not be able to be magically traveled into but still out that is a big fucking deal it would make all the sense in the world that any wealthy large city should have such a thing. Because again, you yourself, you know, are in love with the idea of teleporting an army into a place to fuck it up. And this here provides a canonical way to stop that. It does not give any information on the how, but again, we're kind of in the territory of hand wavium at that point anyway but this does establish that it is magically possible to protect an area. And exactly how you choose to interpret it can actually be interesting in a number of ways. So Candlekeep is a relatively sizable area, but it's certainly not city-sized. So is it possible to protect a city on such a scale? Or is it only possible to protect something the size of a large keep? So is this then, okay, you know, if you do keep it to just the size here, then maybe just the palace, you know, of a large city would be protected from teleportation, which, 
you know, does make a lot of sense in all honesty, because at the very least, if this is possible, then yeah, you'd, you'd want to have that because scry and die is a real terrible thing. And having, you know, protections against such a thing would be immensely valuable. But ah, uh, it's just, I love a lot of the implications of things talked about here in Candlekeep Mysteries. There are so many things throughout that book about just things that you can take inspiration from. Because again, this is, you know, for the Sword Coast Forgotten Realms. So anything that is in this book, you can choose to adapt. And I just fucking love that. Anyway, uh, moving right along. Uh, fire suppression. Flames larger than a candle are suppressed within the keep. Uh, the fireplace in the tavern is an exception. Thus, any spell that creates fire is wasted if it is cast within the keep. No book burning. Ha! Fuck you, Nathan. No! Uh, for people who may not listen to every episode, Nathan has a weird thing about book burning. I don't like it. <laughs> anyway, theft protection. Every book, scroll, and other work considered part of Candlekeep's collection is magically protected against theft. Any such work that is removed from the keep disappears and immediately returns to its proper place in the library. So, again, there's another couple interesting implications of that. So... Even disregarding the theft aspect, the idea that any work can immediately return to its proper place in the library. That is something that librarians, you know, the real world all over the place would absolutely love. Imagine if a librarian could just, you know, say a magic word or just trigger some effect and then immediately, you know, every book just goes back to its correct place on the shelves. That'd be immensely valuable. Yeah, that would be amazing. Yeah, that would just be a fantastic thing. And again, so, okay, so now again, that is a magic that apparently exists now. So that's a thing that you could make use of in other libraries. So you could even have it, like, instead of just being from Candlekeep itself, maybe even just restricted to the library room itself. So, okay, if, it just, if you just try walking out of the room with the book, then it just, you know, teleports back to its proper place. Like, I, I, again, it's just, there's so many implications to the magic here. All right. Shielding Mythal. Yay! So, I love Mythals. So this is something from a while, you know, a couple editions previous. And a Mythal is just a as it's described here, exceptional, unbreakable magical effect. And there is a lot of information out there about Mythals in older editions, but only very brief mentions in 5th edition. So the fact that they are, you know, introducing more about it does make me really happy. So in older books like there is actually information and charts about like exactly how to make a mythal how much it costs like it is epic level magic so things that are beyond level 20 at least you know how it was written previously but exactly how a mythal is created in fifth edition is unfortunately unknown at this point in time 
which does make me sad because I would love to have more information on making a mythal for fifth edition. Uh, anyway, blah 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 blah. Uh, mythal envelops all of Candlekeep in a protective shield through which nothing but air and sound can pass. Do you realize the implication of that one, Nathan? Uh, no. Okay. So nothing but air and sound can pass. That would mean if someone is firing arrows, they would get stopped by the mythal's shield. If they were to, you know, throw weapons, that would get stopped. Magic would get stopped by the shield. But what's also neat to think about, the normal wards, you can teleport out, but not in. But when the mythal is activated, everything is stopped. Which would mean that if someone tried to steal something and escape, activating the mythal could trap them in the bubble as well. Because once the mythal is activated, everything, both ways, is stopped. Which just makes interesting, just... It's an interesting thing to think about because, okay, air and sound can pass, but then that would mean that, okay, so you can't teleport out anymore. You can't get supplies anymore. So you would need to have sufficient people who can cast something like Goodberry or, you know, some other way to conjure food you know, maybe have a bag of plenty. But without that, then there would be no source of food One, if the mythal had to be kept up for some amount of time. However, uh, one other just interesting detail of a mythal. Uh, did you hear me see, say anything about duration or anything like that? No, not at all. I did not, explicitly. Because there isn't one. A mythal is the pinnacle of like permanent magical effects. So a mythal simply is. Honestly, the fact that this mythal is able to be turned off and on is actually somewhat remarkable in its own right. Because normal mythals that I've read about in other books simply are. And it simply has whatever effect it is made to have. So this is actually a rather interesting modification that at least it can be turned off and on. But when it is on, it is it simply is for as long as the person who turned it on wants it to. I mean, actually, there's a thought. If the person turned it on and then died, that might be rather problematic. Huh. <laughs> that would be an interesting and unfortunate situation. So there might be some place in the world then that is just trapped under, you know, a uh, badly planned shielding mythal. And, like, they might survive, like, indefinitely if they have, you know, magic users to provide food. Huh. I might have to use that for a story. That seems like that could be pretty fun. Just, like, how would you deal with being trapped under a shielding mythal? Man, that's, that's going to be pretty fun. Uh, anyway, so I mentioned that there were mages and archmages that are able to help defend the place, 
But there also is actually a rules list about exactly, you know, the behavior that is not allowed. No fighting. All arguments must follow the rules of cordial debate and discussion. Violent no altercations are not allowed. No food and drinks. Oddly enough, that is not one of the rules. Although I would probably put that for my library. <laughs> but yeah, that's an interesting missing one. No stealing. This rule applies to all objects in the keep, not just the library's works. No copying. Visitors are permitted to take notes while studying the library's works, but anyone who wants to make a full copy of a work must pay to have the manuscript created by scribes at the House of the Binder. That's actually another pretty cool thing to think about. Okay, so it is possible to have a book copied for your own use. That's a good detail. No damaging, marking, or otherwise modifying the works. This rule doesn't apply to privately owned books, scrolls, and other documents that aren't part of the can of Candlekeep's collection. So this one is kind of funny to me, because you know how every so often there's a rule that you can just feel like there's a story around why that rule was written? Like, so no damaging, marking, or modifying the works, sure, that makes sense. But right. the addendum that it doesn't apply to privately own book scrolls and other documents, like that makes me think that there just was some <laughs> asshole at some point who tried getting someone in trouble for writing in their own book. And I just think that that's kind of funny because like I get the feel like that that rule was written for like as a result of some incident and like. Honestly, it's details like that that help me feel like a place has like history and that it is like a living rule set. Just that, like, yes, these things do have to get edited over time and that's okay. So I, I really do just appreciate that little detail there. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. All right, so then they go on to talk a lot more about just the various people that are just in Candlekeep and like the people who study are sages, but also master sages are now a thing that exists. Um, 
there are a whole bunch of people that actually run stuff, a whole bunch of just there's a lot of information about the NPCs and I'm just not going to read through most of it just because spoilers, but also just I don't think that that part is quite so interesting. Uh, one thing that I do mention that I think is neat here, uh, there is a council of great readers who are in charge of a lot of the day-to-day stuff. But what I really like about it is that this council is the foremost experts on particular areas of study. And I think that that is a great idea because this creates then a list of NPCs that you could make use of or adapt or to a similar version of. Just like, okay, yeah. So there are specific people who are good at certain things. And, you know, just to kind of go down the list, so primary expertise, divinity, the nature of the divine and gods. Uh, ex- primary expertise, politics, military strategy, and significant battles. So, like, the idea that they have all of these individual, like, descriptions of these people and what they are, you know, the expert of is a good idea. Like, to know that, okay, yeah, there is someone who is who has all the knowledge of you know divine lore someone who has you know the political knowledge someone who has you know music poetry and literature is another person on this list and like there are uh eight of these and that's just such a good idea to just have that divided and just have more npcs like that you could choose to play around with on the other hand like if you want to have less npcs in yours then yeah that's fine then you don't have to worry about these divisions you can just let there be just like a lore expert and maybe even have there be or maybe even have a division of like there's someone who's a master of history someone who's a master of arcane and someone who's a master of divine and just keep it you know a bit more simple to those three But regardless of how much or how little you do want to divide the subjects, it is an interesting thought just like for how such a place could be run. Candle keep locations. So I really actually do like so candle keep is a keep. So there are places to live in addition to the actual library. So they have a house of rest which is a three-story bunkhouse that gives people a place to rest and keep their stuff. But there are some very interesting, to me, details about the place. So it can hold up to 50 guests comfortably. If more space is needed, extra-dimensional spaces are created using Mordenkainen's magnificent mansion spells, the doorways to which are located at the ends of the upstairs hallways. So the idea that this is a place with so many powerful magic users that if they need more space for people to sleep, they conjure extra dimensional mansions. That is awesome. And I just really love that. Like it's written here so casually, but fuck. I mean, that is a seventh level spell. And they just basically casually mentioned, like, yeah, if more is needed, if more is needed, we've got, you know, five archmages who could potentially cast that spell for us. So, yeah, whatever. We're fine. As long as we don't get like a few thousand extra people 
those archmages can just cover a bunch of magnificent mansions. That's just amazing to me, just how casually that is described. <sighs> anyway, uh, another kind of fun thing. So they do have, you know, their own tavern that is called The Hearth, which is just a kind of nice name. But what is also cool, upon entering the establishment, visitors quickly realize that it's three times more spacious on the inside. So it's bigger on the inside. So we are now, again, implication here. We are establishing that we can do like TARDIS level shenanigans in with just the use of extra dimensional magic. It's like there is even just more description here. Uh, gained its larger dimensions courtesy of extra dimensional magic created by worshippers of the god of craft. An intricate clockwork device is suspended in a two foot diameter, faintly glowing crystal orb embedded in the ceiling over the bar. Uh, they call this device a geometric amplifier. It is the source of the magic required to maintain the integrity of the enlarged space. So holy shit. So now we're saying there is a magic item that is able to enhance the size of a place through extra dimensional magic. That is awesome to me. And just now we have this as a thing that can exist in the world. That's so cool. Anyway, um, I have been uh, ranting quite a lot about just some of the neat things in Candlekeep itself. Um, so I am just going to skip ahead a bit and skip some of the other details and just talk a little more about some of the other types of stuff that is mentioned here in Candlekeep Mysteries. So given that this is a bunch of one-shots, um that just take place in and around the idea of Candlekeep. I'm curious, Nathan, just your opinion. How many magic items do you think are in this book? Twelve? Mm, yeah, that's actually a pretty good guess. So I'm not exactly sure how to count it, because there are a lot of magic items mentioned that are also in other books so the so i'm just gonna say that that's actually pretty close but i'm not gonna actually give a number because i don't know that there is one however again there are a lot of interesting implications of things in addition to new items that are introduced with this book so one thing that i want to mention first here is the alchemy jug the alchemy jug is a really fun magic item, in my opinion, that is an uncommon magic item that just once a day can dispense some amount of some type of liquid. So usually it has options like, you know, beer, mayonnaise, water, and a bunch more. Like there's quite a few things on this list. However, one thing that's pretty cool here is that they give other options. So here there's other alchemy jugs that have a couple of different options. So there's one option here that also has boiling hot tea, one quart, able to be dispensed once a day, and an entire other one that is able to dispense a gallon of soy sauce a day. So 
it is a f- weird magic item, and I do just like the idea of it, but I really like here, they're once again giving the implication that you can have an alchemy jug either bought or made that has other things than the standard list. Because again, maybe you don't necessarily want to be able to just, you know, get poison once a day and maybe you actually just want to have like just a thing that you like so again having just like hot tea available can be really nice especially if you might be you know wandering through some kind of cold climate so i i just i like that they did that Ooh. so next up a new legendary magic item gloves of soul catching your constitution score is 20 while you wear these gloves. This property of the gloves has no effect if your con is already 20 or higher. After making a successful unarmed strike while wearing these gloves, you can use the gloves to deal an extra 2d10 force damage to the target, and you regain a number of hit points equal to the damage dealt. Alternatively, Instead of regaining hit points in this way, you can choose to gain advantage on one attack roll, ability check, or saving throw you make before the end of your next turn. Fucking hell, that is powerful. Do you realize... Well, so first off, Nathan, can you tell me what class this might be best in the hands of? Uh, not sure. Okay, I'll give you a hint. After making a successful unarmed strike. Monk. Monk! Monk. Thank you, Nathan. So a monk is able to make two attacks per turn with the attack action and have the option to spend a key point to make an additional two as a bonus action. So theoretically, a monk can make four attacks on a single turn you know, not including opportunity attacks or any of those kinds of shenanigans. So, first off, your con score is 20. That alone is amazing. But I would actually argue that it is the effect that is even better. Because most magic items either deal less additional damage, so like a flame blade deals an extra 2d6, And this does 2d10 force damage, which again is a very rarely resisted damage type. But you also regain hit points equal to the force damage dealt. So let's say a monk were to make all those four attacks, and let's just say they hit with three of them. That would mean that they would deal an additional 6d10 force damage and be healed for that amount as well. That is an insanely powerful magic item, and that is legendary for good reason. But even besides that, the fact that they can choose to not regain hit points and instead give themselves advantage? So they could just use this, attack number one, yay, they hit. And then, let's say they're already at full health because it's the start of the fight. Attack number two, they have advantage. They hit. Attack number three. They hit. Advantage again. Attack. So they could just use this to just chain advantage for themselves. 
Because all it takes is make the successful unarmed strike, and then you can choose to gain advantage. That is crazy powerful, and I want one. <sighs> anyway, next up, Nether Scroll of Azumar. So this is another legendary magic item, but it is a better version of a relatively well-known magic item. Hey, Nathan, can you tell me about the various magical manuals that exist? You mean the... No. <laughs> I was okay. trying to think of something and then I couldn't get anything. So there are other magic items that are very rare magic items instead of legendary like this. But what those other manuals do is that they can boost a stat after being studied by two and the maximum for the score. So like use the main manual of gainful exercise as an example. So that's the strength one. If you spend 48 hours over a period of six days or fewer studying and practicing it, yada, 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 your strength increases by two, as does your maximum for that score. So these are the magic items that potentially allow people to break the 20 stat cap. Like, you know, and of course, you know, barbarians have their own way, but most classes don't have a way to get above 20. But what's also cool about the manuals, they lose their magic after use, but regain it in a century. So this is something that can get used once every hundred years to boost someone's strength score by two. However, the new magic item, this Nether Scroll of Azumar. Unlike most scrolls, Nether Scroll of Azumar is not a consumable magic item. It takes 30 days of concentrated study to understand. After completing this study, you must make a DC 25 Arcana check. If it fails, you take 16 D10 Psychic Damage, and you can attempt the check again after another 30 days of study. When you succeed, though, your intelligence score increases by 2 to a maximum of 22. Once you gain this benefit, you can't use this scroll to increase your intelligence again. Also, you gain advantage on saving throws against spells and other magical effects. When you gain the scroll's benefits, a stone golem magically appears in an unoccupied space within 60 feet of you and acts as your ally. If you die, the golem turns to dust. Well, shit, that is also quite a lot of things. So, Nathan, can you tell me what the pro and con of this one is compared to the normal manual um it's better <laughs> well it's better in some ways but less good in others so the manual recharges every hundred years but does not have a limitation on use this says that any individual can only use the scroll once to increase their intelligence, and only to a maximum of 22. So the manual does not have that 22 maximum. So theoretically, if someone were immortal and had a manual, they could just use it every hundred years to just get plus two, plus two, plus two. And again, just depending on 
exactly how you interpret the rules. They can just do that for 500 years to just get, you know, that to just get to a 30 in the relevant stat. Or if you do interpret that 30 isn't the limit, you could theoretically do that indefinitely with the manual just every 100 years. While here, you could only use it once to increase your intelligence by two. However, the manual recharges every hundred years. This one just requires 30 days of study, and then someone else could immediately do the same. So theoretically, if you had a party get their hands on one of these and just take six months off adventuring to just let everyone study it, then the intelligence bonus is only a small part of things, honestly. The ability to gain advantage on all saving throws against spells and other magical effects is massive. Especially if you consider that this is something that your character simply learns. This is not a magic item that would require attunement. It is simply a massive benefit that your characters could potentially gain. But in addition to that, stone golems are a freaking CR10 creature. I mean, they've got 17 AC and 178 hit points. So theoretically, again, if you spread this around a party, you could just have fucking four stone golems? That's insane. And what's also kind of... So you know me. I love thinking about loopholes to things. The scroll mentions that you can't use the scroll to increase your intelligence again. It says nothing about not being able to study the scroll again. So if you do so, then you could just get a new stone golem. So yeah, it would take the 30 days of study, but there's nothing that says you'd only be limited to one stone golem too. So again, you could have some bad guy that has one of these things just make a golem every month if they have a good enough arcana, that is. And then, okay, so that would be 12 a year, 120 in a decade. I would not want to fight 120 stone golems. Like, that is a crazy powerful magic item. Anyway, moving right along. Ooh, another of my favorites for the new items. Serpent Scale Armor. So this is an uncommon scale mail magic item. But while wearing it, you can apply your full dexterity modifier instead of the max of plus two when determining your AC. In addition, this armor does not impose disadvantage on your stealth checks. That is amazing! So this is a fantastic armor option for rogues, or I guess theoretically a monk could also take advantage of it if they you know, did not have a particularly good wisdom score. But having a magic item with your full dex mod that is scale mail, because normally... A rogue would want to stick with something like uh, studded leather because that's the best armor before this existed to add your full decks. So this can very easily become just the default armor for rogues because that is just a massive benefit to add your full decks onto scale mail. So yay. 
And um, yeah, that's probably enough on the magic item front. So let us move right along to monsters. This is one area that I'll be honest, I was caught by surprise because I wasn't expecting so damn many new monsters to come up in this book. I mean, yeah, it was a bunch of one shots just written by a bunch of individuals, but nonetheless, like on D&D Beyond, there are four pages of monsters that make up just the candlekeep section here. So there is no way in hell that I'm going to go through all of them. I'm just going to pick and choose just a couple of the new ones that are introduced that I think are fucking cool. So I'm not going to actually give the name of it. I'm simply going to describe this first one. There is a new creature that is introduced here that is a ghostly dragon. So normally... When you have an undead dragon, it is going to be a Draco Lich. However, they have now introduced the possibility that a dragon can become a ghost in the right situation. So now you have a motherfucking dragon that exists in this place that has like incorporeal movement, regeneration, spellcasting, in addition to the normal draconic abilities. This is a crazy powerful creature, but just again, the implication of its existence, the idea that a dragon can become a ghost and that this is a thing that you might decide to put in your own world, like even not something Candlekeep related, just the idea that a dragon can become a ghost is fucking awesome. Anyway, another one that I really like, the Lichen Lich. Or lichen? How do you how do you pronounce L I C H E N? I think that's lichen. Nathan? No idea, honestly. Lichen? 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 Yeah, no, I think it's lichen. I think werewolf. Lichen? Yeah, lichen. So lichen? Is... Maybe lichen. Yeah, I think Let's go works. with lichen. Yeah. So the lichen that is about like fungi, that type of thing. But anyway. The Lichen Lich. So the whole idea around it is that, hey, why is it only arcane guys that get to become liches? What if a druid wanted to become a lich? And so this is the answer to if druids wanted to become a lich, what would that look like? And I'll be honest, it's really fucking cool. So just the picture alone is worth the Google just to take a look at this thing. It is just like a skeleton with a bunch of just fungus kind of growing off of it and it's just really really cool looking but even besides just how cool it looks like it is a lich so it is a powerful spellcaster but also has a number of you know abilities that suit the idea of a kind of undead druid so a lot of poison abilities the ability to sap life as a legendary action like the abilities that this thing has are just really the cool. big suck <laughs> yes yes it does <sighs> gotta ruin my fun <laughs> all right anyway another kind of cool one so 
dragon tortoises are just a neat creature that exist. So normally those are, you know, some draconic relation, but creatures that lives in the ocean and is just really dangerous. However, what's what I like here is that they introduced the idea of a land dragon tortoise. So so instead of dragon turtle, it's dragon tortoise because land. (laughs) But what's really cool, though, is that this thing has Instead of the normal steam breath, the dragon tortoise ex- exhales abrasive sand in a 60-foot cone that deals 15d6 hey, slashing dragons. damage. Yeah, so there is a sand dragon-ish creature now. And just the idea, though, 15d6 slashing damage is fucking terrifying. And even worse, considering that this is, you know, the normal recharge 5 or 6. So all it takes is so it's got a 33% chance any given turn of recharging to get that back. Like that is a horrific amount of damage. But also I just really like the idea of just a gargantuan sized dragon tortoise just slowly stomping around somewhere. I just I really like that and I think that that's cool. But I'll be honest, there is a lot more just about Candlekeep about just the magic items and the creatures that do exist therein but the idea that i just hope that we got across is that even if you don't necessarily want to play in the forgotten realm specifically using candlekeep itself the book candlekeep mysteries is still absolutely worth your time for the sheer quantity of just cool ideas that you can take from the book to inspire decisions in your own world. Thanks for listening to this episode of Rifts and Rules. Please leave us a review and give us five stars on iTunes. Also, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash riftwakepodcast. Tiers start as low as a dollar, and even that much really helps us out. Supporters get benefits such as behind-the-scenes content, early access to episodes, access to the monthly hangout where you'll be able to chat with the cast, and even input on Riffs and Rules topics. Find us on social media, on Twitter, at Riffwake Podcast, on Facebook as Riffwake, on Reddit, on the subreddit, r slash Riffwake Podcast, and you can send us an email, riffwakepodcast at gmail.com. And that's it for today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.